Mike Kiss Army. Welcome to the Kiss FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today. Nothing is into your head. I hope you don't do any damage. This is a Kiss-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to episode 132 of the Kiss FAQ Podcast. I am your host this week. STL Kiss, Lonnie Weiser on the board. I know, where's Julian? Julian took the week off and he has left us the reins. Um, on the show today, we have Mark, Marcus Almighty. Greetings. We have Daniel, all the way from Sweden. And Ken, the voice of reason. Hello. Probably need a voice of reason today without Julian here. <laughs> So, today is June 30th, 2017, when we're recording this. It is the 40th anniversary of the release of Kiss's sixth studio album, Love Gun. Kind of Kiss at their pinnacle, a lot of people would say at this point, 40 years ago today with the release of Love Gun. Um, Before we get started, not a whole lot going on. As far as news goes lately, um, except that Gene of- dropped that <laughs> trademark thing. Yeah, yeah Gene dropped that- his trademark suit. Plus, he's- Gene, Gene said he would kill pedophiles this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> which I agree with. So I, agree. I think it's a hot take that I agree with. Um, other than that, not a whole lot going on in, yeah. in the Kiss world. They have a show coming up in Chicago in a couple weeks. Um, on a big festival, but other than that, not a whole lot of news going on in the Kiss world. But 40th anniversary of Love Gun is definitely something worth talking about and worth celebrating this week on the show. So, just for starters, um, did anybody here get Love Gun when it came out? Ken, you might be the Ken is the only one old enough. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it that way. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is that... <laughs> that was slight from uh, Daniel. But, um, <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. No, that's all right. <laughs> hey, it is what it is. That That's old physically, but not mentally. Um, <laughs> okay, well, um, yeah, July, June, that was, I just moved to uh, California in that, that year, um, January of that year. And I think just shortly around that, that around that time, or just a f- few months before, I actually started to... I, I became aware of Kiss um, from my friend who played me rock and roll over. Um, so I was just starting to get into them at that point. Uh, though I didn't know Love Gun was out at the time. Uh, so I did not get it when it came out. Um, so I, I didn't get Love Gun until uh, probably, I probably got it late in the year um, because my first one was Alive 2 which came out a little bit later in the year. So uh, that was my real entry for KISS. So, yeah, Love Gun, I did not pick it up when it came out. So when you did get it late in 77, what were your what were your first impressions of, of the album when you got it? Oh, well, I liked it. I mean, I, st- I saw your love, you know, just came out and, you know, hit you in the face right there. And... Uh, I know I had, I think Double Platinum was another early one I had at the time, and I think then I bought that live too 
and then Double Platinum, and then I decided, based on the songs I was listening to off of Double Platinum, which album I might get next, based on the songs I like. I, at mm-hmm. the time, I liked Christine 16 a lot, so, so I'm sure I, I picked that guy. I liked it on Alive, too. I thought, oh, this is a pretty good song, uh, even though I knew Dr. Love, too. Um, I liked that one a lot. Um, so I did, I'm sure I bought it at the, during the end of the year, and I know I, I thought it was great. I thought it was, uh, you know, uh, a good rocking album. There's some songs that, a couple of songs that took a lot, you know, longer for to maybe grow on to me. <laughs> um, but uh, my initial impression was great, and I loved staring at the artwork, you know, and that stuff, and, and loved the goodies that came in it. You know, the Love Gun, I put the Love Gun together. Uh, <laughs> did the well, popping right thing? I you probably wrote, popped wrote it at my on mom your double or something. Award, so why wouldn't you put the love gun together? <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was it's just a great package and and a, and, a, and a, one of their best one of their best albums. Sure. Daniel, what about you? When did you first buy Love Gun or first hear it? Yeah, you know, I got into Kiss back in like 84, 85, somewhere around there, and I bought Animalize and Asylum and those kind of records and became a fan. And then I went to like, I don't know what you say, like a flea market or something with the old records, uh, and I found this one. I guess it was somewhere around uh, 86, 87. This is the actual copy I got. And. Uh, brought it back home and started listening to it and I was really disappointed because it didn't sound anything like Tears Are Falling oh, yeah. or, or Heaven's smell. on Fire <laughs> or I've Had Enough Into the Fire or uh, mm-hmm. Who Wants to Be Lonely, you know? So, so, so my first kiss was like the Paul Stanley, Paul Stanley in Center Kiss singing all these great tunes, Gene filling out with a couple of songs and then I this was one of the first classic albums I got. So initially, I was disappointed, but um, of course, it has grown on me since then. Cool. It's interesting. Yeah, everybody has a different timeline. So it's <laughs> yeah, you know, and what people's expectations in that timeline are always mm. different. So it's kind of that's interesting. Mark, what about you? Well, um, I didn't get this record till much later as well. My first Kiss record was a live one, which I got for. Christmas for my sister, but my older sister got it when she when it came out. She's like seven years older than I am, so that album had been spinning in our house since it came out. At that point, I didn't really even know who it was or whatever. So, at that point, I didn't really even care. At that point, because I was really young then when she had that. But um, later on, as I started getting into it, I kind of initially had the same reaction as Daniel, though to be honest, at first because. When I first got into it, I got a live one, which I thought was, you know, pretty cool. But then I started getting a lot of the, I guess you would call them newer records at that time. Like I got like Animalize and I got a, a Lick It Up and stuff like that. And then when I went back to Love Gun, I was kind of like, this is, these guitars sound wimpy compared to the other stuff, you know, because it sounded, you know, they didn't have the high gain amps and any of those things for those records. They had like the straight old old school Marshall heads and stuff like that so it, you know it's more the classic sound but much like Daniel and you guys as I started getting more familiar with their catalog and getting more into Kiss and 
etc etc it's grown on me it's not my favorite kiss album but it's probably in my top 10 fair enough for sure um i got love gun in probably 1988 1989 and i got it on cassette Ooh. which is perfect for about that for which is very yeah. typical for that time frame yeah um and i was about nine or ten years old when i got it um my brother had destroyer and creatures of the night on cassette i wanted my own kiss album and they got my parents got me love gun i think for my birthday i think i got love gun for whatever reason um and i and i loved it it was it be having that destroyer and creatures were my what I knew about Kiss at the time, um, Love Gun fit in. You know, it doesn't have the production that Mark hates with Love with Destroyer, but it does. You know, it still sounds like it still sounded like Kiss to me, as opposed to what what maybe Daniel was ex- expecting when he bought Love Gun, as opposed <laughs> to what he had been listening to. So it fit in with what I knew of Kiss when I got it um, on cassette, and. I, I loved it. I thought it was, you know, just it's just another Kiss record, and this is what Kiss sounds like, and it was fantastic. It was a very, very early on impression of the band for me. So um, I've always I've always enjoyed the album, uh, wore that cassette out until I bought it on CD a few years later. So, um, so that's our first impressions of Love Gun. What about... What about the packaging? I mean, my I got the package. My packaging was was um, you know just the cassette. You know, when you bought those cassettes, it was the cassette, and then it was like half of it really was the album cover. It was really hard to really make out what was going on. Yeah, there's girls on the steps, you know, and it's a great Ken Kelly um, painting, obviously. Um, and I bought the vinyl of it. I guess when I was about 17. There's a record store down the street from me. I used to ride my bike to and then eventually drive to once I got my license. And he had a sealed copy of Love Gun. Um, it was like 30 bucks. It's like, oh, wow, it's really cool. And he's like, and I always go in there and buy Kiss stuff from this guy. And he goes, and it was, st- you know, he had, he had it labeled, you know, still sealed. And he goes, um, if you buy this from me, you're not going to open it, are you? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's been oh, sealed no. 20 years. He goes, he goes, if you really want Love Gun, I'll find you another copy of Love Gun. But if you buy this one, don't open it. <laughs> so one of, one of those guys, eh? You know, yeah. So I bought it, and I so I thought this guy, this guy was, I thought he was like the coolest guy in the world. He owned his own record store, and I thought, yeah, I'd love to do that one day. But in me, we all the industry died, and owning your own record store isn't really profitable. But um, he goes, if you buy this one, don't open it. He goes, I'll get you another copy. So I ended up buying two copies of Love Gun from this guy, one that I. I never have opened to this day, and one that's that I opened and then I that I played. But um, I gotta ask just, you though, you know, what? I gotta ask you something though. Yeah. You you got the cassette, right? Correct. Now did you did you get the old school one that just had the cover and then the song titles underneath the front cover at the very front, or did you have like a like a regular copy that had the song titles in the back? Everybody those those old school versions that have the songs uh-huh. written underneath the front there. It actually had the titles on the back. Oh, okay. Um, it had like a like a tan case on the back side of it. Um, I still have it down. Even though I wore it out, I still have it downstairs. Just, just. I hated, 
I'd hate when you get those copies where you would open it and on the inside of the J card there was like nothing written in there at all. It was just the front cover and you open it and there's nothing there. It's like they totally skimped out on some of those, you know, pressings of the cassettes. It was brutal, you know. So so yeah, so I, I ended up buying two more copies of it and on CD and you know, I bought it on CD twice because I bought the original and then the remaster and mm. what about you guys? How many what about your thoughts on the packaging or how many different times have you bought the album? Oh boy! Yeah. Well, just I'll start. But so you, this here is a obviously the Japanese pressing, right? With mm. the the OB and everything, right? Um, this is not the album that I have the most copies of, but needless to say, I have about eight or nine <laughs> vinyl pressings of this. I got the Canadian, I got the U.S., I got the Jesus Japanese, <laughs> I got. <laughs> I got the I got two different German ones. Uh, I mean, yeah, I bought quite a few of them. I'm I got I got it uh, t on CD, the original one, and the remaster. And I have a set of as well, I think too. But I got yeah, I got quite a few copies, but nowhere near nowhere near as many as I have of like Rock and Roll Over or or Alive. I got like easily like 15 vinyl of each of those ones. So. Yeah, rock and roll over. You can never get enough of them. Yeah. No. <laughs> Ken, what about you? Did you just do a quick count? Well, okay, I kind of, yeah, I kind of estimate. I have down behind me. Um, um, I'm somewhere around, somewhere around 12 vinyls. Um, and <laughs> yeah, that includes like like. Daniel looks disgusted. Like uh, Mark, there's uh, well, there's the different label variations, you know, and. You know, Mark can attest to this stuff. There's different variations of the labels and and other countries that they came from and so on, uh, mm -hmm. where they were pressed. So then I got a misprint, you know, on a on a label uh, kind of thing. So probably around 12 of those, and then and then if you count CDs, right? Uh, I have. You know, oh yeah, and the deluxe too. I bought that. a few. I had an original yeah. Japanese CD. When they came out there originally, uh, what was it, late '80s or something, and then the U.S. and then the U.S. remaster and then <laughs> the Love Gun, um, uh, the one they you know, the, the deluxe Lux. edition, right, right. Um, so I did that. Um, just just quickly, I, I want to put in that we had some I had some facts about at least the initial recording of the album about yeah. that they. They they just got off the Japanese tour um, and they yeah. came back and then they they started Three. recording recording May May third through May twenty eighth. That's um, crazy. Yeah, that's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, the, and they, they just knocked knocked it out and then yeah. they actually went uh, into sh shortly after that they well they did the rehearsals actually started rehearsals a live uh, tour in June. Uh, 20th to 26th at uh, uh, Star Sound Studios or something like that. And then the 27th, uh, they did a couple more days in an airport hangar uh, in Stewart Airport, New York. So, yeah. So, and then they, I think they went right back out on the road, you know, not shortly yeah. after. So, that, 
That's crazy. The, the Love Gun tour, wasn't it like Love Gun tour recorded uh, and then the Alive 2 tour was like a second phase of the tour. Yeah, and I think so. That was, that right. was like the most, uh, I guess they were at their height of, of their, you know, yeah. popularity. Success. Yeah, yeah, that's about Success. the high, merchandising and uh, yeah. as they call it the end of basically the classic, classic era. Classic did you era. buy the Did you buy the ebook Kiss? Uh, you know Kurt uh, Kurt's book there. Did you buy it? Uh, the, the no, I have I have the the actual book when it came out. Yeah. so I still have that. Yeah, so do yeah. I. Yeah, yeah, I actually bought it. I, the, the I, I watched the. And it's all Julian's fault because I watched the episode. <laughs> and I, and it was late at night, two, you know, two a.m. And I, I need that one. Yeah. You just have to do one click. So, so I read it just recently, and what struck me was um, they toured, and then they like recorded when they were supposed to, you know, have downtime. Yeah. Right back on tour, and then record right back on tour. And then they recorded for a lot of years, and it was crazy. It must have been uh, heaven to be a Kiss fan back then. You you could see them on tour, and then yeah, a new album, and then go out back and see them for, you know. A lot of, and a lot of people though attest that to being the reason though why they broke up or why the stresses happened because they didn't have any away time from each other. They were driving each other nuts probably by that time. I mean, it's crazy to think about. It. Ken was saying they were re- they recorded the album May 3rd through May 28th, and then it's out June 30th. I mean, yeah. as much as we wait around for albums yeah. at this yeah. point, or no. you know, it seems yeah. like it, like remember when they were they were recording Monster. I mean, it seemed like forever they were taking the recording, yeah. and then it was done. It was done, and like they had this press conference with Motley Crue in the spring of 2012, but then the album didn't come out till October. It's like, what are we doing? Yeah. And yeah. But back in '77, they record it one month. It's out the next month, and they're out on tour promoting it. Like, and, the bam, records, bam, bam. and the records were a lot better. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah, it, it, they think too much. That's the problem, you know. Yeah. Well, the problem is too that Casablanca was their label back then, and they were the numero uno band on it, so they were the first priority. Now they're on Universal, where there's hundreds of other bands, yeah. and they're definitely not numero uno on that record label. Oh, no. So, oh, no. so as soon as they make it, they're they're on a schedule. They say, okay, you re- you record the record now. <clears throat> we'll schedule schedule you guys it for seven months from now for the release, so that we can prepare everything because they they know how much money they put into some of these bands to promote it right all their resources get tied up into some of this stuff so they got put into a schedule but back then Casablanca said whatever Kiss wanted or needed to make them bigger we they did everything they could then so yeah. that's probably why it was also that much quicker so so Lonnie before we got a little bit I, I sidetracked I sidetracked things by doing that but um, no. the uh, my thoughts on the actual packaging uh was was cool i mean of course like i said earlier uh the painting on it was awesome you just you know stared at it like i stared at posters when i first was getting into them at that time um and then the insert of course the love gun itself was cool and then the sleeve the sleeve with the the blood oh yeah kind of k-i-s-s letters is like i I know i knew it wasn't real blood of course you know (laughs) Like the you know, comic book, right? Um, they actually poured that. Now that would have been cool had they took those vials. Besides putting it in the, 
you know the ink for a comic book but they poured it out and tried to make the kiss letters uh, but that would have been hey that would have been well that would have been way out there um, yeah. it was, so, it it, was such a shame cool. that it was such a shame that Ken Kelly didn't do something like this for, uh, you know, Sonic Boom. I think that record could have been a lot bigger if he did something like this. I agree. Uh, Maybe he should do the next album. I don't know what the hell if they there did is, for if that there cover. Is one. I guess Paul told him that he needed to use, uh, you know, wasn't it Ken Kelly who did the uh, Sonic Boom cover? No, Doré. Michael no, Doré. Michael Doré. Yeah. The guy who did Rock and okay. Roll. Yeah, the rock and roll over guy. But if he had done something similar to rock and roll over, I don't know what they did on. I don't know what you think about the Sonic Boom album uh, cover, but but I don't like it at all. And I guess he he was restrained by Paul because yeah. he said he wanted real pictures. He wanted real pictures sabotage, of that sabotage the whole album cover. Yeah, yeah they could have done something like rock and roll over or like Destroyer or Love Gun or something like that. Yeah. It would be a been a, it will be a bigger hit, you know. Yeah. But this one is. Well, so what about you, Daniel? What do you think? Yeah, I think that the cover is excellent. Of course, when I went to the bins at the flea market, the elder was right next to this one, and I picked this one. Of course. So you didn't. Yeah. You don't have yeah. 17 copies of this album? Uh, actually, <laughs> this, is kind, of, this is kind of. This is kind of embarrassing. <laughs> This is the only one I have. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm a real fan. No, because uh, <laughs> right. I'm not a real fan. <laughs> I have only one, one album. And it was mm-hmm. quite a few years since I gave it a, a spin. But, uh, you know, CDs came and you could do your own versions. So I quickly da- downloaded uh, the album and, and I erased Hooligan. Then she kissed me <laughs> and got love for sale. And then I put it together with the best songs from uh, Destroyer. And uh, I used that CD. Destroyer? Yeah, Destroyer and Love Gun. I compiled those into one CD. You know, you have 80, 80 minutes. So that was a great <clears throat> CD. They spun a whole... Love Gun Destroyer. Yeah. <laughs> you added like one, one song from Destroyer? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, wow, wow. There you go. Damn, Gina. <laughs> uh, there was a few. There, there were a few more. <laughs> but it really harkens. It's it, this album though. <clears throat> I was talking about you know the sleeve with the blood on it, you know, and the, and the order form, and and the love gun. It was really Kiss at their pinnacle with with their packaging. You know, really what they were what they were known for. Um, you know, the order form has the the comic book on it, which came out the same day didn't it it's supposed to come out the same day that's the supposedly anyway um you know and and the poster with the new york city backdrop and it's 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 if you're just just looking at the packaging and the order form and the love gun and it's just the whole package itself it's really just a great snapshot of kiss at their at their peak with what and what made them at their peak with the merchandising with the comic book Mm -hmm. with the album cover with the fantastic album cover and and the great songs as well it it's it really harkens why kiss was the best band voted um in the gallup polls the the biggest band in the country yeah that's right they were number one at that time so let's go through um just just go through the album song by song yeah cool 
Um, so, so Ken, I got to ask you this: mm-hmm. When you put the album on, did you do it backwards like Dynasty and listen to no. Love Gun first, oh, yeah. or right, did you right. listen to I, I Stole Your Love? First? That's funny. Yeah, that's yeah. what the people want to know. I know. I didn't do it like I did. Uh, <laughs> dynasty where i did that i looked at the back cover first i didn't look right. at the back cover i actually looked at the label the album where it said okay side one the side one is on side two so i knew uh, which one okay. to do so i did it the right way uh, <laughs> so i put it on there and uh yeah uh, i stole your love was like i said earlier is just it just charges out the gate and it's just a great riff and i think uh what Paul Stanley has said before that he based it that song or got the idea from uh, Deep Purple's uh, Burn, the song Burn, Deep Purple. So uh, that is, and you know what? If you can come close to Burn or similar to that, that's it works with me because that's a great song. Um, so yeah, this is a great song and it comes out just charging i mean it's it's a great you know i think uh, it has been used uh, at some points as a uh, concert opener um i think it yeah at that's least, the tour yeah yeah so it's great it's a great Not in the shade, yeah. yeah yes exactly so it's a great song uh nothing bad to say about it Daniel, i think the other thing sorry okay. about that the other thing i think this song has a trade. I think there's the yes, uh, Paul A solo. Yeah, Ace, Ace, and I think it's Ace and Paul uh, play lead in this. Yeah, one. Paul could be and Ace. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that that was one of the things I w- uh, was going to say because I think that solo is one of the greatest ones because uh, Paul star- starts it off, start it off, and then Ace Frehley finishes it off, and it sounds great. Uh, the song is a classic. You know, they really pulled it off when they started the Hot in the Shade tour and they started with that song. It was a kick-ass version. And too bad they haven't used it a lot in the set in the later years, unfortunately, right. because uh, it's to me it's kind of similar to the great songs that Paul wrote for Rock and Roll Over. You know, I Want You and making love you know based on a main riff that's really cool somewhere around the seventh fret uh, and they all sound great and this is probably my favorite from this album i stole you love and the vocals are really aggressive and great and uh this one is a real classic so that's one for for i mean that's the, to me that's the best song on the album yeah, I, I got to agree. I think uh, I Stole Your Love is probably one of their better uh, album openers and even concert openers. I think that it's really hard-hitting. Uh, you know, it it grabs your attention right away. And I, I, I love it when I uh, when I watch the old footage, like when I have that uh, the Love Gun tour there, and they come down in those little elevators down yeah. and they start <laughs> with that. It's, re- it's really cool. You know, it's like a, it's a strong moment that kind of sticks in your mind as a KISS fan when yes. you think of that right so um you know and you kind of get the feeling that paul stanley (coughs) wrote that song with that in mind like he's kind of almost envisioned it as the opener of the concert and the opening song of the record i know that he's said that a few times that he kind of thinks that way sometimes when he writes like when he wrote uh you know psycho circus he thought that way when he wrote 
you know, uh, Detroit Rock City, he had that in mind as well as an opener. So it, it's he writes with that kind of vision in his mind. So I think this one really was a home run when it comes to that sort of thinking and then music being brought into play with it. Yeah, it's for sure. You could, you could, I think you can definitely make that argument that Paul wrote the song and envisioned it to be the opener on the Love Good Tour. You can definitely make that argument. I mean, it's such a, it's such a kick-ass riff, and it's a great way to start not only a show but the album as well. Just, it's just an in-your-face riff when that song starts on the record. And at the same time, you can see that's why. Remember the, if you look, if you uh, remember Detroit Rock City, the movie, you know, the, the mom, you know, that's the record that she accidentally puts on at the beginning of the movie. And it's the yeah. perfect song for that as well. It's just because it is such a driving force song that, and and it's obviously she's looking for like the carpenters or something like that. And it's just totally opposite of what she's expecting. So um, I Still Your Love is one of my favorite Kiss songs. And it's really a shame that um, it didn't get the attention um, that it deserved after the reunion. They, they played it a few times on the reunion tour, not not very often at all. If you go back and, and look at set lists from Alive Worldwide, 96, 97, um, if they were playing a second night in the city, sometimes they would they would throw it in. I think like when they played Detroit in the fall of 96, they played it that night. They played a couple other, like maybe they played Take Me that night too, just to mix it up a little bit from what they did um, when they were there a few months prior. But not very often, if you go back and look at, at those at that tour do you hear that you see that song and then you don't see it at all on psycho circus yeah. you don't it, yeah. they didn't play it on the farewell tour maybe in one of those um medleys in australia or something like that maybe they they tinkered with it um and i think they brought it back maybe for a couple shows on rock the nation when they were kind of mixing it up a little bit every night but it, it but other than that it, they really haven't it really hasn't been a staple in any set list or anything like that, really, in in 20 years. Um, they did play it on the cruise that I went to. Um, they played it that night. The crowd started chanting, I Stole Your Love, and they went into it and played it, which was really cool. But other than that, I mean, they, they it, for such a classic Kiss song, and such, we're all just singing its praises, it really hasn't been a staple in any kind of, of Kiss set list in the 20 years since they've had the makeup back on. Just kind of kind of a shame in my opinion yeah you know the one two punch at the heart in the shade tour was one of the best you know that started with i saw you love and dudes to me that's one of the strongest openings they ever had to ever any tour i think it was just great and and that was one of the reasons that that tour was kind of a success i agree i agree yeah um so christine 16's a song that has been a staple in the yes. Kiss set list as of as of I recent years. I don't know years. why. Um, they played it quite a bit since since 2004, really. Since Rock the Nation, they've really played it quite a bit on seemingly it almost seems like almost every tour, or every other tour. What do you guys? But what are you guys' thoughts of Christine 16? Mark, let's go right back to you. Well, I, I don't I don't mind it. I mean, it wasn't really my favorite song off the record. I mean, back back when I was first getting into music and stuff like that and when you're young and kind of you know impressionable and trying to think of what's cool and what isn't the whole piano thing kind of rubbed me the wrong way I thought that was kind of hokey and kind of 60s sounding right so I thought that wasn't too cool but um, it, it, it piqued my interest later on 
years later because of the when you started learning all that information about Eddie and Alex playing on the original demo and stuff like that, and you start thinking, hmm, I wonder how different the demo is from this version and stuff like that. So that kind of re it got my interest back into the song a bit more. But, you know, I can understand why it's maybe a staple now. It's a Gene song. Paul doesn't need to sing. It's one less song for him to have to worry about on stage. Yeah. And, you know, Gene can sing it decently still. So, and it's a classic. And, you know, you want to you wanna quiet those fans that keep saying they, they don't play any classic songs. So at least they can pull this one out and do it. But it's far from my favorite off of this record. I can say that. But I can, I can see that it was another attempt by Gene to make, you know, that hit for Kiss. You know that they that they were always kind of looking for, but not really, right? Mm-hmm. Daniel, what about you, Christine? Sixteen. I agree with the piano thing. I didn't like that. It was almost as bad <laughs> as Crazy Nights <laughs> keyboards. But uh, and I, I don't know if any of you guys are Catholic, but this has to be the Catholic Cardinals, uh, you know, national anthem. It's kind of. <laughs> <laughs> you know, really it's know. kind of sickening. <laughs> wow. You know, it's kind of sickening to hear like, Christine 16, especially that middle part. When I saw you coming out of school that day, I knew I got a hey. <laughs> you, know, you know, that part. It's kind yeah, of yeah. sick. But aside from that, I think. I respect the Gene's pedophile comment this week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What it I hate pedophiles, but I'm one as well, you know. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I think the, the lyrics kind of, you know turn me off but uh as a song it's pretty good um uh, but lose the piano and i guess nowadays then they have to sing christy 60 or something right um all right well i always liked the song um well especially when it when i first heard it i, I liked the song um I mean, it's not my favorite Kiss song, but I still enjoy it. Um, it's a catchy tune, like Mark was saying. It was Gene's kind of trying to write the hit uh, song on the album. Um, yeah, I think when I listened to that middle talking part, uh, when I first heard it, I thought, oh, it's kind of like you know when Elvis Presley did that kind of stuff in his uh, a song or two where he did that middle <laughs> speaking part. Um, Maybe it's I can't help falling in love or one of those. Right, right, yeah. I thought, oh, he's trying to do an Elvis or something like that, you know, um, in the middle. Um, and at the time, I thought, well, I just pictured it as myself or something, you know, saying those things. And so it, it wasn't like, you know, a pedophile kind of thing. To me at the time, I didn't think of it that way. Now, you think of it that way, especially as Gene gets older and the band gets older <laughs> and he's singing it now. It doesn't, it just, just, doesn't work the same dirty, as it, it. Yeah, it doesn't work the same now <laughs> as it did back then. Maybe he should change that middle part and change the lyrics up a little bit. So, but uh, yeah, I always enjoyed the song. But I, th- I was kind of surprised they brought that one out for the Revenge Tour, Lonnie. You know, uh, they were going for a rougher, tougher sound, and they then suddenly they brought out Christine. 16. They played that a lot on the Revenge Tour. I don't know why. You yeah. remember that? A little different, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, that it doesn't really fit with the because they were going no, for a more, no, you know, tough. They were going for a more tough and cool look at the time, you know. Yeah. So, but 
Christine's. I liked Christine 16 when I was young. Yeah. Um, when I first kind of like you, you know going 16? back to what Ken was saying, you know, like when I first got the album and I was eight or nine, you know, I <laughs> you're eight or nine years old. There's nothing more beautiful than a 16 year old girl when you're <laughs> eight or nine years old too. You know what I mean? So the, it kind of registered with with me when you're that age. Um, and I enjoyed it when I was young, and now it's kind of like, eh, you know, um, it is a little a little creepy, maybe you could say. But it's still a fun song. Um, the p- even and I, I, you guys brought up the piano in it, and I think that I can remember too being young listening to it. Like, what's what's the piano doing in here? I don't I don't really need. I don't need a piano in here in a in a, in a kiss song. In, in a kiss song, no. Right. So, but it, it's a fun song and and um, it's it's recognizable, I guess, and that's why they still play it on tour. And it's a good it's a good song for Gene to sing. But to, to me, it's it's like uh, you know, Gene is so influenced by '60s rock and roll, and sometimes it comes through. And this is one of the times when you see. He, he's like paying homage to uh, the 60s or 50s. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, Ken brought up too about the Elvis speaking. Yeah. It does remind you of that. I never thought about that before, but but uh, okay. Elvis had quite a few songs where he, you know, start talking in the middle of it about whatever. <laughs> but I'm not gonna do an Elvis impression on the show. <laughs> yeah. But but um, baby, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's about how he misses Priscilla or whatever. But. You know, it, that's, that's a good. That's a good. Uh, I never thought about it like that. That's, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, that was so, great. Got love for sale is the third song, and I got to hear "Got Love for Sale" at a recent Jeans show, and it yeah. was Ooh, cool, absolutely fantastic, and yeah, just it could have played anything. No, exactly. So freaking refreshing to hear going into that. God, it was, yeah. it was awesome. I loved every second of it. And again, and again, because maybe it was a song that is on Love Gun, a song that I had, an album that I had when I was really young and just takes me way back. And it's just a song I've known basically my whole life. And to see Gene up on stage playing that song, a song that I would never, ever expect to hear Gene Simmons ever sing live, much less at a Gene Simmons solo show. And I'm 10 feet from the guy. Um just fantastic it's, and it's a fun song it's it's definitely you know it's not a uh it's it's a song they never had played before live it's not a uh a people pleaser type song that they would play at a kiss show yeah. but it's a fun song and it's and it's, it's classic kiss feel to it and i really enjoyed it and i'm really high on it right now because i just saw gene sing it and Ken, you probably will be too here if you see That's Gene. right, yeah. What do you think yeah. about the Gene Simmons tour? I think it's just one of the greatest things in, in a few years. I think it's it so refreshing. Good. It yeah. is good. Yeah, I, mean, uh, think, I think you brought up a good point, though, about that, because for me, as far as the song goes, when I first got the record, I didn't really think too much of this song. I thought it was, you know, whatever. It was okay. It wasn't as strong as some of the Paul songs on the record, but... Years years later, and as I started getting into other records, like let's say Double Platinum and stuff like that, which I really enjoyed and listened to a lot, you start getting used to more of the the hits and the more popular songs off of it. And then when you go back to a record like Love Gun, when you haven't mm-hmm. listened to it for a long time beginning to end, all of a sudden it becomes totally fresh again. Just like how you guys said, you go to a concert, you've been seeing Kiss so long, you know, and heard all those songs that they do every single tour. That when they do a song like 
god love for sale or even almost human or something if he was to pull out her charisma you're like wow even though you might not even have thought anything of these songs beforehand now all of a sudden they're your favorite because you've you know you've never heard it in a live capacity and now all of a sudden it's fresh and new right yeah for sure but all are really good songs then or is it just that we haven't heard them live yeah that's what i'm saying yeah yeah i i got you but to me i've got love for sale on this album is like kind of a throwaway there's no real great solo or chorus or and because english is my second language i really don't get it is he like talking about a prostitute or is he a gigolo what the hell is happening i I don't really get it you have to explain well he me. He it's he's talking about it from his perspective, right? Because in the in the that pre-chorus chorus part, he, they they keep seeing "Have Love Will Travel," mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which was the original, which was the original title yeah. of the song yeah. before, yeah. right? So yeah. it's almost like he's saying, you know, that he'll go anywhere for love, right? Like he's the man love. who's gonna go. <laughs> yeah, well, sex. I guess I guess he could. It's yeah. easier to it's easier to rhyme love than it is sex, probably in a song, right? Interesting. So, um, uh, I, I was playing the song uh, close to when Gene was getting ready to come here and I, he had played it you know, at a show prior and I was playing it and my wife goes you know, it sounds like he's a it sounds like he's you know like he, like he's a pimp or he's like a you know a, a male prostitute or something. I don't get it. She goes she goes, This is horrible. I go, Oh no, this is great. <laughs> She goes, I've never heard this song before. Oh, this is great. She goes, this is horrible. This is awful. Like, oh, no, no, no. But, you know, you hear about, and, and you, you've probably heard this adage before, that if you if you take a lot of Kiss songs and you replace the, replace the word love with with dick, you know, it takes on a whole new meaning. So I think this song is one of those songs for sure that you can that you can make that, that adage to. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Well, so Ken, what about you? Yeah, that, yeah, I, I don't know. I never looked in, looked into the lyrics of this song too much. <laughs> Good for you. Fortunately, um, but uh, I, I just like the groove of the song. Um, just the way it, it chugs, it chugs along, you know, at a good, good pace, and and uh, and I like his vocals on it. It's it's pretty darn good. Um, I guess he. I think he played guitar. This is the album where sometimes they were playing a little bit more uh, their own instruments or other instruments, yeah. you know, besides uh-huh. bass. He he played guitar on this one as he did, I think, on Christine 16 uh, on the album. But um, it's it's a good song. Yeah, it's not one of the best, but it's like a it's hidden nugget that's it's it's good to hear every now and then. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't skip the song. No, I I, I oh. enjoy the song. I wouldn't skip it. Uh, so it's it's a good, it's a decent song. Decent, yeah. So speaking of gems, the next mm. song is the the vocal debut of Ace Frehley with "Shock Me." Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Daniel, I'm gonna throw it right to you on on this. I know you're a big Ace Frehley guy, so yeah. Let's hear was, let's hear from cool. you first. I think it was a great addition to add. Ace's vocals to, to the album, it uh, added something, and um, I especially enjoy the drumming 
on this uh, song. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what happened to Peter Chris on this one, but but he's doing some fantastic stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I really, it's really remember rememberable. You you know you you remember the drums on this one because he's doing a lot of stuff, and as and also Ace's solo is you know huge huge. It's it's great, and I remember. <laughs> Every part of it, and um, I just watched a recent video on YouTube when a guy went through Ace Frehley's 17, you know, most used techniques. Mm. <laughs> I guess he used at least 10 or 11 on, on this solo, and <laughs> sounds great. That's a that's a tip for you guys if 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 you would like to learn some Ace solo solo guitar stuff. Uh, just type in Ace Frehley technique on YouTube, and this is the first hit, I guess. And it's really great and easy to learn. I'm sure yeah. Mark knows all of them already, but uh, for, for the other guys out there. Uh, but but it's a great song, and I think it's perfect for the album. And when listening to the album he released the year after, you know, his solo album, I guess they could have used one or two more songs from Ace on this album and it would have been real fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a I think it's a really standout song. Um I agree with Daniel the drumming on this is really fantastic. I think that, you know, Peter must have gotten his new stash of white powder before he wow. drummed this one. And uh <laughs> but he but honestly though Actually, I think Shane that sang also Peter's praises last week. But I, but I gotta say though, I think that also Eddie Kramer did a really great job on getting a fantastic guitar tone for this song. If you listen to the rest of the album, this guitar and this song particularly has a much more in-your-face growly yeah. sort of guitar sound than the rest of the record. So it's almost like they put special emphasis on it because they knew it was his debut kind of vocal song too. So they really wanted to make it stand out not only vocally but also musically too for him ray and uh i think it's i think it's a really really great song i think <clears throat> you know he sang it good um i think the whole vibe of it is good the bass guitar is good and rumor has it that ace did the bass on this as well who knows if that's true or not but um it's it's really well done i think that eddie kramer really put special attention to not only just the rhythm guitars but also the guitar solo sound that ace got on this song is really really good i think that um when they mixed this song they really wanted to make it that much more special for ace you know because it's his first song yeah. for the record you know why not make it that much more standoutish for, for him you know yeah i agree um this song at first you know the first time i heard it is is the, the shock point is like shock me that is the vocal was so different from the other <laughs> You know, from Gene, Paul, and, and Peter, um, is like this. This voice is way different than the other voices. But uh, so it took me a little longer to get used to his vocal. Uh, but I love the song. Um, and like Mark says, the the guitars are much up, you know, more forward, you know, out there, and sound much better. Um, and I guess the the rumor has it. Uh, I guess the story goes that you know Ace sang it while lying on his back in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. Um, and again, yeah, like Daniel said, the the guitar solo is just awesome. And then he you know he ended up using they ended up using that for the extended you know 
guitar solo in the the tour afterwards he he played this solo and then he just continued it and had that great solo on the live too you know that we hear um so uh and and peter's drumming uh that was a good pickup there uh, because uh i always thought i love peter's drumming on this There's a lot of syncopation kind of stuff going on in there it's like he, he never did that stuff on any of their songs and he, he, this one he did differently which is, is very interesting that he, he decided to do that but it's a great song it is it is it is a fantastic song um and it's the perfect song for ace really to debut his vocals on um it, it's a it's a great song on the album it's a great song live um it sounds fantastic on live too with the extended solo and i always liked um during the reunion era that when they would get ready to do shock me ace would come to the microphone you know paul would introduce it you know and ace would come to the microphone and he'd go shock me and he'd go hit it peter which i always thought was cool because it was like a a tip of the cap to Peter for because he would always kick off that song with that with that great drum beat, um, and I, I always I always really enjoyed that um, aspect of it. And it was, it's really just Ace Frehley's moment to shine, not only on the album, but whenever the song is played live, whenever the song was played live as well, because it's him doing the vocals, it's him with the guitar solo, with the extended guitar solo, with the smoking guitar. It was really just Ace Frehley's moment in the show. Shock Me became, and. We all sat here and sang its praises. That it has a great drum beat. That it has, um, you know, a great solo. And I guess that's why it's still played live to this day, even with a different spaceman singing it. Um, it don't matter. You know, have your opinion of it the way you want. But it is a it's a it's a great Ace Frehley song. But you know what? It's also a great Kiss song, and that's why it's still played live to this day. And for the typical, for the average Kiss fan, they go, you know, it's just, oh, and this is when the guy in the, the space makeup sings his song. I remember this the last time I was here. And I remember, you know, even if they don't even have Love Gunner, they don't have a live two. Oh, yeah, I remember this when I saw him 20 years ago on their reunion tour. I remember this when I saw him in 78. Even if they don't, like I said, even if they don't have the album. But, oh, yeah, I remember this part of the show. It's just part of the Kiss show is when the spaceman sings Shock Me and goes into the solo. So, yeah. say what you will about if you have your problems with with Ace with Tommy singing it, but it's it's a great Kiss song, and that's why it's still part of the show. So, tomorrow and tonight ends side one of Love Gun. In my opinion, tomorrow and tonight they were trying to do a remake of Rock and Roll Night and a remake of Shout It Out Loud. They wanted mm -hmm. an anthem-type song for the album. And for me, the song really falls short of the mark of where it needed to be, especially for those other two songs. It's just, it's it's fine. It's, you know, it's a Kiss song off the first six records. I have a hard time really criticizing any song off those six original studio albums. But it, it, I can see what they were trying to do, and for me, it really Love falls short Kiss? of where it needs to be. What's that? Love theme from Kiss. Love Kiss theme from in Kiss. time. Well, we'll, we'll and, and and we'll get to then she kissed me as well here in a little bit. But <laughs> right. For me, it kind of falls short of the mark of of an anthem song from from, from Kiss. It's okay, but it's not. It doesn't stand out to me. What about you guys? Well, yeah, I, I totally totally agree. I mean. It's so so obviously an attempt at making another 
you know, hit of that style, you know, whether it's shouted out loud or rock and roll night. I mean, it's, it, it gives it away with that chorus with those backing girl singers that they have in there, you know, I didn't like that when I was young too. It's, it's, it, mm. it just, that, that to me always screams that they're trying to make a sort of a big top 40 kind of hit. Now, <laughs> I'd be lying if I didn't say that over the years it's kind of gotten better in my eyes than it first did when I first heard it. But uh, it's never been anything too memorable for me. And the the fact that they, you know, put it on Alive 2, but it was that infamous, you know, rehearsal version they just added audience to. I mean, they obviously didn't have too much faith in it as a live song if they didn't really play it ever live mm-hmm. right but uh you know it's it's one of those songs and it's it's very rare that i would ever say this but it's it it's to me like a like how gene has his throwaway songs like god love for sale this is like a paul version of a throwaway song you know and he doesn't have very many of them in my opinion at least not back in the in this day and age you know later on yeah there's been some paul stinkers but at this time not so many Mhm. Good. I agree with that. You know, it's it's just it's just okay. And and it, it's it's good analysis that they never did attempt to play it live. That I think they knew that it fell short of the mark, even though with what they were trying to do with making an, an anthem type song, that it never. But I think they knew that oh, it doesn't stand up to to some of the other songs on the album or some of the other anthem type Kiss songs. So yeah. Ken, what about you? <laughs> yeah, um, the song, yeah, it's obvious that you know, he's trying to rock, write another rock and roll night. Uh, I think if he's going to try to write another one of those, he, he needs to co-write it with Gene. <laughs> um, because that, that's why that song came together. It's from two completely different songs, and it, it worked, right? And it seems that when they write together, they're able to create some you know, pretty good song uh they should try writing together more um to tell you the truth um what's funny is i was reading i was reading a, this book about i think it was the encyclopedia um saying that paul stanley borrowed elements of uh mop the hoople's golden age of rock and roll uh, yeah this book when writing the song oh yeah well you guys all have your yeah i got this one i look at this other one too <laughs> i know that one but this is the other one the encyclopedia one um which is probably took from that book um but yeah. uh yeah, I mean, it's 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 cool. It's good. I can remember. I can, you know, it's it's not hard to remember the uh, the chorus of that song, uh, but it's not something I go to listen to. Um, to say, right. yeah, I need to listen to this song. Uh, no, it's, I don't. Yeah, I, I, it, I, yeah, it's I, a song I, that just kind of comes on. It's not. It's, it's not a reference point at the start. Yeah, it it can almost be called filler, I guess. Um, but it's it's not a bad song. Uh, it's just a song like, oh, it's, it's pretty good. I see what he's going for. Now let's go to the side two, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's not a song that you seek out or I'm going to start. I'm going to I want to listen to some Kiss and I'm going to start with Tomorrow and Tonight. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to listen to some Kiss and well, maybe Tomorrow and Tonight's on my playlist for today in this particular <laughs> playlist that I'm listening to or or whatever. 
I don't, I don't hear, I, I don't hear the resemblance to Rock and Roll All Night, even though he he, he said he was trying to write another one. I feel it's more in the tone of "Then She Kissed Me" or a '60s song, you know, uh, kind of a catchy um, chorus, but way too poppy for for a Kiss album at this time. So, uh, to me, it's more like he's paying homage to. Much like Ian did in Christine 16, it sounds like an old song, you know, an, an old pop yeah. song. And it's a good old pop song, but not sure. for this album. So I remember when I listened to this one, I wasn't that old. Uh, we're, we're somewhere around 10, 11 years old. I liked it, but nowadays I don't care for it that much. But, um, and I think this was the start. I mean, this is. For, to me, this is the last Kiss album that sounded like Kiss, you know? Mm-hmm. And you started to see the cracks in Then She Kissed Me and songs like Tomorrow and Tonight. They were trying to sound like something else. Mm. And um, to me, Tomorrow and Tonight is a good song. It's just not a good Kiss song. It sounds like the thing they say about the elder, the but elder. I don't <laughs> like the elder at all. <laughs> Well, let's talk about a song that I think we're all going to sing praises to. And Side 2 starts off with the title track, which is kind of bizarre. But Side 2 starts off with the title track of the album. Um, staple in the Kiss set list from, for the next 40 years. Um, fantastic song, fantastic riff. Um, great way to start off the second side of the album. It's another in-your-face type, type of Kiss song. Um, it's Paul Stanley at his maybe his best. Paul Paul made a, Paul said something I don't know a few years ago in an interview that he said if you put a gun to my head I couldn't write a song. I think this is even before Sonic Boom came out. He said if you put a gun to my head I couldn't write a song as good as Love Gun if I if my life depended on it. Hmm. Um, and it is and it is a fantastic song. It's a staple. It's a it's what it's a song that Kiss is just known for. If you know. Ten Kiss songs, you know you're gonna, you know Love Gun, in my opinion. Um, probably, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a great song. It's great lyrics. Paul Stanley, it's just it's it's a Paul Stanley song, really almost. It's Paul Stanley at his best. Yeah. What do you guys think? Well, I, I think again, this this is another example of him having the vision of the song before he even. Like picked up his guitar. I mean, the the story is he 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 heard the whole song in his head, pretty much wrote it on a plane flight back from Japan, right? So, I mean, and I've kind of had that experience once myself, where I've kind of was somewhere else, and an idea for a song popped into my head, and I kind of figured out other parts to it while I was away from my instrument, came home, picked it up, and figured that it actually kind of worked. And wrote a song, so I can totally relate to him coming up with this idea that he wrote up this song in his head, and you know. But then again, at this point, he would they they were so well into the money and stuff like that that he could go and you know go into Electric Lady anytime he wanted to, you know, and record really decent demos. Like the demos were almost as good as the final album versions mm-hmm. of these songs, and work it out to great detail and give it to the band that's the main difference i've always noticed between gene and paul is paul uh, paul's demos and songs that he would submit were always so well done and well thought out and written 
jeans were always sounded like you know he had a transistor radio somewhere in his bathroom with him and he recorded on a crappy acoustic or something and it, it is they would vary in quality and you know in songwriting quality too but that's because he wrote so many different songs so many things he just recorded everything but i think paul's very much more selective and you know would, would keep only his prime material for people to hear and i think love gun is a prime example of that that he just came up with a really strong idea he sat in the studio worked it all out because i think it was just him and somebody just a drum and that's it for the, for the for the demo and he worked it out to the point of where he was extremely happy with it and submitted it and i think he did the same thing with uh, i stole your love as well i think that was the same idea with mm-hmm. that so he had two extremely strong songs going into the record and they they showed look how look how well they turned out in in the end for the final version for sure love gun um opened the crazy nights tour mm-hmm. and opened the rock the nation tour mm-hmm. um it's a great op- it, it it works as an opener for, for mm-hmm. i thought i thought it worked really well as an opener for a show um usually they, they have been playing it later in the show like but um and it's a good kicking the ass like late in the show all of a sudden you go in the love gun late in the show you're still you're still pulling out classic tunes late in the show so it, it works well no matter where when no matter where it was placed in the set daniel mm-hmm. what about you there's not not much to say about the love gun because it's just pure perfection but uh do you remember that tune that sounded a little bit too similar to love gun yeah, I heard something about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a few years ago. Someone posted on the Kiss FAQ board a, a link to another song that was pretty, pretty similar to Love Gun. So I'm not sure about the whole thing when Paul says it just came to me on the plane. I, I, I think he, I think, I think he listened to that song previously, and then he got on the plane, and then oh, I have a great idea copied quite a lot from that other song but it doesn't really matter because it's just a great tune it works well live i love the way they end it when he shoots like the lights in the mm-hmm. trust that's great <laughs> it looks awesome and it's always been a favorite yeah sure it's a great great lead off for side two this whoever has vinyls um but uh the, the other cool thing about this song is that, and I don't know who came up with that idea, is the, the riff, actually, the, the drum riff, like a machine gun kind of thing um, in there um, that they do. Um, but I'm sure Peter loved doing that because he's a, you know, he's a big gun guy. He loves the guns uh-huh. and the, the old, those old <laughs> type movies, gangster movies, right? So yeah. um, just a great song. Um, I It's a song you... This one is you don't get tired of, of hearing. Um, they can play it as much as you want, um, as they want, and uh, it's, it's it's always gonna be welcome to me. Um, and uh, even the, you know the solo is is great. The thing that this this song I think was released as the second single mm-hmm. off the album, which is not to tell you the truth. If you listen to radio at that time, it's it's not really single material. Um, it's more just FM kind of radio yeah. material mm-hmm. uh, so i'm surprised they released it as a single i think it stalled at 55 or somewhere around there um on the charts so it didn't really get anywhere 
um, yeah. where Christine 16 did. Um, so I don't know what they could have released as their second single instead of this, but I, it's, it's it's still it's it's a great just a great song anyway. Um, and when we, I know we were talking about guitars earlier, uh, the sound um, other mm-hmm. than shock me, the, the guitar sound reminded me of on this album almost like Foreigner was back then. That kind of guitar sound um, feels like the first time or whatever. Mm. Um, it's similar. That was just the sound maybe at the time uh, for for rock and roll. But uh, I'm not saying and. You know, Foreigner's a great band. It works for them, and it's I've always loved that their music. Um, but uh, I, I don't think it, that's the right tone for Kiss. You know, um, we talked about how it's just Paul. It's a Paul Stanley. I said it was a Paul Stanley song. Paul Stanley even played bass on the song. It's such a mm. Paul Stanley yeah. um, masterpiece. Oh yeah. Uh, so it's 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 him at his best. His best performance-wise, live performance on the on the album itself. Um, it's 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 him in a in a nutshell, in a snapshot. Um, so next on is Peter Chris's mm. highlight of the album and his only lead vocal appearance on the album with Hooligan. Um, I thought I. I always loved Hooligan. I thought it was, especially when I was a kid, and it was, you know, Peter's song on, on that album. It was, it's the same guy that was singing Beth on Destroyer. You know, I, like, you know, could could figure that out. And I, I loved it. I thought I thought it has a great sound to it. It's really a, a, a '70s Kiss feel to that whole song. Um, I thought it was great. I remember singing it at school. I always thought it was cool. It dropped out of school when I was 22. I don't know. I just it always registered with me for some reason. Um, I always liked it. What about you guys? What how do you feel about about Hooligan, Peter Chris? Uh, okay, go ahead, Ken. Okay. Well, for me, that was one of the first songs that on the album uh, that I didn't I didn't I didn't care for it at the beginning uh, so much uh, when I first heard it. Um, I like it a lot more now, actually. <laughs> it maybe it's taken 40 years to grow on me, but uh, I, I do like it a lot more now. Uh, back then, I thought it was just I, I didn't get it. I understood the you know the lyrics what they're doing saying, but uh, I just just the song was so different from the rest of the album um, that it kind of I had a hard time uh, getting into it. Um, but uh, like I said, now I enjoy it a lot more, ton more. Probably 100% more than I did back when I first heard it on the album. It was one of the ones, maybe a couple songs that I thought uh, I could skip back then. Interesting. Um, Mark, what about you? Well, again, this is I I kind of view it as a unfortunately sort of a throwaway song, but you know, it is kind of a shame because if I think that if Eddie Kramer would have maybe pushed the guys to probably help make the song a little bit more better, like maybe help put a little bit more attention to detail like they did with Ace's song, mm. it could have turned out a bit better. 
than than it did. I mean, it's very basic in structure, the song. I mean, I'm sure Paul or Gene or somebody could have came up with another part to help it out. You know what I mean? It's just so basic. And, you know, the lyrics are even very basic, like very elementary schoolish as far as, you know, the rhyming and stuff like that. And, you know, the only thing I ever found kind of interesting about it was when I watched the that uh, concert video I have from the Love Gun tour, when they played it, I was always kind of surprised that Paul Stanley pulled out the double neck for this. I was like, wow, why is he playing a double neck for this song? Like a 12 string at, at that, you know, the electric 12 with a capo way the hell up here on the seventh round. Like, wow, this is sort of odd. I never would have, you know, picked that out. And for some reason, I was sort of transfixed on that for the longest time. Whenever I watched that video, I always kind of wanted to look forward to that song because I always wondered, why is he doing that? Like, you know, just from a guitar player's perspective, you know? And, uh, but on album, I, it's not, it's not bad. Like it doesn't, he doesn't sing it bad or nothing like that. There's mm-hmm. <clears throat> Peter, Peter has a very unique voice, very signature voice that you can pick out anywhere. And, you know, it suits his style, but I always think that he always kind of gets, you know, the short end of the stick on these records. If they would have, you know, had a producer that would say, listen, pulled Paul by the ear and said, listen, come and help Peter with this song give him a stronger pre-chorus or something let's make the song a bit better i think peter's songs could have turned out being better than they were i think they just it, it was always just the fault that they took his original versions that he did with stan penridge right and they kind of always you know you know rolled their eyes at it and said okay whatever we have to do a peter song so let's give just him a song it. yeah, yeah you know what i mean form- it was the height of having the formula that well we have to give peter a song yeah exactly we don't really so- want to but fine yeah. And if they would have if they would have embraced it a bit more and said, okay, we got to put one song on, so let's at least make it good, try to make it at least as good as Aces somehow, then it would have made it that much of a stronger record. So I just think that I think Peter just ends up on the short end of the stick, and unfortunately, this is one of those songs that is like the bottom end of the list, right? Bottom of the list. Daniel, what about you? Give, give us, tell me, tell me you like the song. What do you think? <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> I don't like this one at all. And I, I just read in this one, these guys were so into themselves. Egos were huge. Oh, yeah. And I, this is so funny when you read this one. They are asking Peter Chris what he thinks about the Love Garden album, and he says, "I'd give it a four. Because they did do hooligan the way I wanted it done. And that's all he cared about. I think it's so silly. It's like having a 12-year-old killed by your side. And I'm sure Paul and Jean laughed their asses off when they re- read the lyrics. I thought, eh, that's kind of true. I can't even spell my name. I drive it out of school. I won't go to school again. You know, at times Paul Stanley has said that some of the guys in the band didn't even know how to, you know, write songs, and, and he was referring to Peter. You know what he's talking oh, about. Yeah. So I think I just had a ball with this song. Yeah, Peter writes. We don't have to write the song for himself. He does it by himself. He writes that he can't even spell his name, and he won't go to school again. Great. <laughs> Let's put it on the album. Perfect. <laughs> and, and that's all I have to say about this song. I don't think that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very interesting perspective. 
Bowling, Bowling G might have been, yeah, that's perfect. Let's go with it. That's great. He's, he's incriminating himself. So. <laughs> um, almost Human. Uh, great Gene song. He's, they've, they've done it on the cruise recently a couple times. Um, Gene's doing it solo right now. Um, kind of Gene trying to write his own God of Thunder almost yeah. in a way. Um, I always liked the song. Um, I thought it didn't get the attention it deserved because there's you know rumors that it was played live at that first Love Gun show, and other people say no, it was not. Um, but it sounded great when they did it on the cruise, and it sounds great with Gene playing it live, how he's doing it right now. Um, I think it's very demonic, and I really enjoy it. What about Mark? You're laughing. You got a hot take on Almost Human, so let's I, hear it. Well, I, I, I don't think it's a bad song. It's just the very first time I heard it, it almost reminded me of, like, Santana wanting to do a God of Thunder, you know, with that whole, those congas and everything, oh. you know. There. It was very, very Santana-ish, that whole hand bongos action going on there. But, you know, if you strip that away and listen to it, how he plays it now in the in the solo tour, it's... It is a pretty, pretty cool song. It does have a really heavy riff, and I'm kind of surprised that they didn't put more emphasis on it on the studio record. Like, I, I'm, I'm really surprised that Eddie Kramer didn't say, you know what, Gene, I just, I know you want to be a little bit different with this, but I really don't think this, these congas fit with this, you know, and try to make it a little bit more God of Thunder-ish, you know, make it a little bit more heavier, make it a little bit more you know, plotting and stuff like that. I think that's the only thing that's missing from it for making it in that category because he sings it really good. The playing on the most part is pretty pretty well done on this song. I just think that it just shows what adding one instrument and adding a little bit of a change in rhythm can do to a song. You can take it from really heavy and cool to something a little bit more Latin-influenced almost and you know, a little bit more upbeat than you would probably have, have imagined that it would have been. I mean, I just, like I said, I don't think it's a bad song, and I don't think that it should have been left off. I think it's a, I think it's decent enough that I could have made the record. I think it's better than God Love for Sale, in my opinion. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I just always had a problem with that whole conga thing. I just think, of, I just, I can't help but see Carlos Santana run out whenever I hear that, you know? Jeez. Okay. <laughs> All right, muchachos. I was. I, I don't think a Carlos Santana when I hear <laughs> almost human, but you know what I say to each their own. Um, <laughs> Dina, what about you? What, do, what are your thoughts on almost human? Well, I always liked it when Gene tried to uh, write songs in the demon uh, character. Mm-hmm. I think the best one he actually did was. A lot later on in the 90s when he did Unholy, that would have been perfect for this album if he would have put Unholy on this one. But I guess Vinny Vincent wrote the most of that one. But uh, that's his best demon song that he wrote by himself, sort of. Uh, this one, I kind of like it. It's some sort of werewolf theme, and that's kind of how it is for Gene, you know. When he's on stage, he's this demon, uh, you know, angry, evil. And then off stage, he's like a dork. 
So that's kind of, kind of yeah, but you have to agree with me. Just watch Family Jewels and you and you'll see what I mean. So 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 I guess he's kind of a split personality. He goes into character on stage and he's great when he's on stage, the mean Gene demon character. And this is a perfect song for that. However, I didn't like the chorus. I don't know what they tried to go from some haunting vocals. I would have rather heard the Kiss dudes do the the, the chorus. But other than that, I thought it was kind of kind of a good song and a nice attempt and i also like the way they did the solos this is the only the only song on love gun that strays away from the classic ace fraley solos yeah. you know mm -hmm. uh, they were doing a lot of noises and stuff and it's i think it suits the song perfectly because this is a twisted mind thinking about who he is am i evil am i good I'm changing. I don't know who I am, really. I'm a demon, and the the solos fits. They fit perfectly, and uh, I think that was kind of a nice touch to this one. Um, I don't know if Ace did those, but they're really different from the other solos on the album. So rumor is that he didn't. It's something that Gene did, and it just because yeah. it's it's also a lot of like it seems like there's like a lot of feedback and some whammy bar stuff, which is very not. Ace really, yeah. you know. Yeah. But it it suits the song because it's yeah. a straight, you know, right. a psycho singing about himself. Hey, maybe it was Carlos Santana did it. <laughs> Here we go again. Um, this, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> this the song. Um, I always love the song. Um, I think it's a great song. Um, the first time I remember hearing it, I thought, yeah, it, it, this is a, like a creepy kind of song um you know but, back not, then, but not as christine 16 not that kind of creepy not that kind of creepy. Good, more of the creature way. creature features kind of creepy which i watched back back in probably the early 70s at you know the late night uh creature features movies creature. they would play and dracula and all yeah werewolf right which is i believe this is about so um yeah all the sounds in there that they're doing uh the congas don't bother me i, I it, it, it works for me, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, I like Daniel said the guitar, the solo deal with the sounds that they did in, in the middle was very cool. And just the eerie sound that they kind of create, you know, the atmosphere that they're creating in the song and the, uh, the, the chorus, the, the background vocals. Um, it just it just works and it works coming from Gene. Um, his vocals, first of all, and his his persona, you know, the the demon persona. So it all works, mm -hmm. and I I've, I've always loved the song. I have too. I, I I think it's a shame that it didn't get um, played in the '70s. I thought that it would have really worked well. Um, I think that the the uh, Gene drooling blood before the song, I think would have would have worked well with the song. Mm -hmm. Also, yeah. Um, he's trying to write a different. A, I think, in my opinion, he was trying to write a, a an updated God of Thunder, and I think it, it would have it would have been interesting to, to to see it showcase more um, in the heyday of the band. I really like what he's doing with it now on his solo shows, and I really like the way it sounded on the couple times they've played it on the cruise. So it's it's a it's a great song in my opinion. So another Gene song, um, Plaster Caster. It's mm -hmm. It's it's as tongue in cheek as you're gonna get from from Kiss. 
um, kind of a a a, 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 a fun song, a, a, a silly song almost in a way. Um, little uncomfortable conversation with four guys. So let's talk about Plastercaster. <laughs> Honestly, I think uh, out of the songs that Gene did on this record, this is one of the more stronger ones musically, for sure. I think it's uh, very, very catchy, very straight, mm-hmm. like an A12 bar approach almost to this. And uh, that's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think that it's, it really stood out. Uh, it was very rhythmically cool. I mean, let's put it this way for MTV Unplugged, which is one of their biggest things that they had to do for television in the longest time, it, that was a make-or-break situation. That was like song two. So that's got to tell you how good that song is, mm-hmm. that they put it up so early in the show when people could have switched the channel if it sucked, right? So it's, I think it's a good song. Again, the topic, again, is just Gene's ego talking again. <laughs> because as we all know, or maybe some maybe don't know, the, the the plaster caster girls were girls that actually took casts of certain rock people's genitalia, right? And he claims he claims to you know with the song he was almost trying to claim that he was one of those people, and it was well known that they never even wanted to do anything with Gene Simmons. He was he was not on their radar at all. So that's again Gene's you know ego working overtime in lyrical form, right? But the song is good. I really like it. I think the solo's cool in it. I think the everything about it vocally is really cool. It has a really strong melody. And I think that it's uh, it's it's well done. I think honestly it it doesn't deserve to be so far in the in the album. Like I think they should have probably brought it up a bit earlier in the in the record. I think it's a lot stronger than they make it look on the album. So I I give it a thumbs up. Again, just the lyrics are always kind of the thing that's in question. Mm-hmm. Again, at that point, you know how Gene was then. You know he he was supposedly God's gift to women at the time. So God forbid that he could ever say that they he never was one of those people. You know. <laughs> Again, it's one of those songs where I was talking about earlier. You can replace the word love with dick, and you kind of understand what's what's happening. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Daniel, what about you? Oh, I think it's a fun song. Yeah. I think it's all right, you know, kind of. A, and as a historical mom, uh, monument, <laughs> it kind of, you know, captures a, a time in rock history. So for that, it's good. Uh, and it's pretty obvious he, he wrote this one on an acoustic guitar, you know. Mm-hmm. It kind of works well on an acoustic guitar. It doesn't work that well on the album, I think. I think it's... I prefer the unplugged version, and as most of Gene's songs, he writes them on acoustic guitar, and if he doesn't get any input, it doesn't really work on electric guitar. For instance, one of the greatest songs ever in the Kiss catalog, Fits Like Glove. Have you heard that? Uh, <laughs> the, the, de- the demo. I knew if you it. hear the demo of that one. No. The demo, it's just Gene doing three chords sounds horrible then you add Vinnie Vincent and you have one of the greatest greatest tunes in history yeah this song it's one of my the songs that I like 
the most uh, when I first heard the album. Um, I still love the uh, you know the song. I love the way the the song starts and kind of mm-hmm. kicks in at the beginning. Um, the way they do it, uh, it's it is catchy song. To me, this would have been a good second single uh, off the album. Uh, but you know, first of all, the the subject matter wasn't gonna work. I don't think on AM radio, unfortunately. And then exactly. the other thing was Paul was gonna have none of that. You know where. He doesn't get a single, um, and he, you know, he had Love Gun. So, um, but this song is a is a great song. It's catchy tune, um, man. I I always like to hear it uh, anytime it comes up. So I'm looking forward to li- hearing it. Hopefully, uh, when I see Gene down in uh, Southern California in uh, beginning of August. So. Uh, nothing this is not a skipper for me (laughs) no it's a it's a fun song you know tease about it but it's a it's a great song like you're talking about um it being the second song on mtv unplugged it it sounds fantastic on there as well and gene's vocals on mtv unplugged he really just sounds great that night when they recorded that um it's a it's a fun song. I, I I enjoy it, and it was good to see him when he did it on the uh, when I saw him live a few, couple months ago. So I don't remember. Did did he sing it uh, in his soft voice on the album, or did he use the demon voice? I think because he used a normal voice. More yeah. of a normal voice and more yeah, not, it's not but, demonic. And, and he's great at that, but but, but, but he doesn't he, he don't he doesn't use it a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But he can do that. Uh, like See It Tonight is a great example from Unplugged. Oh, yeah. uh, right. He yeah. sounds incredible. But unfortunately, most of the time in concerts, he just go for the demon voice. And, you know, it sounds great too. But uh, I would like him to do one or two tunes live when he uses his soft voice because, you know, Going Blind sounds great. He's probably. Be the best singer in the band right now. Well, maybe Eric Singer is a bit better. I don't know. I uh, I remember being eight or nine years old and going around singing Plaster Caster, and I had no idea what it meant or anything. I just thought it was a fun <laughs> song. You know, and then you, you get a little older and you figure out what it's about. Like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be walking around singing that. <laughs> so one more song on the album. Um, they do a cover of... And then he kissed me, and they make it then she kissed me to close out the album. Greatest ever. Thoughts on thought, gentlemen, your thoughts well, on then she I'll, tell, I'll, me. I'll go first. Uh, yeah, this this they should have never put this song on the album. I mean, this it's so not kiss. Agreed. Um, I don't know who came up with that idea to put this one. Paul on. Stanley. <laughs> yeah, Bob there, there you go. Yeah, um, the deal, at Bob Ezrin. <laughs> suggested it. wow um but uh Lame Ezra for something the deal is uh the rumor has it is i think they were thinking of doing uh jailhouse jailhouse rock yeah right? um yeah. which even worse oh no i think it well it would have been better than than this song uh-huh, for sure uh-huh. uh, it would have been interesting to hear them trying to rock out on that one um who knows what it would have turned out it could have been a mess uh, maybe they just should have used written another song, you know, or had another, 
no, another of their own songs. There was no reason to put a, a a cover tune on the album. It just doesn't make any sense. And then to you know turn it around from the the female song, which it was originally, around to the male side kind of thing, and uh, it it just I, I never Hello. I never got it. I never got this song. And uh, so this one I. I probably end at Plastercaster and then take the album off because I'm, I don't want to hear it, you know. Yeah, I, I, I go ahead, Daniel. Uh, I'd add a, another Ace Frehley song instead, you know. Whatever he could have come up with would have been better than this. Uh, in this one, in this book, uh, Behind the Mask, uh, one thing you never get from me is bullshit, says Paul Stanley. I was a big fan of Then She Kissed Me. And uh, that's a great song and it needs to be redone. So that's what he said. So, so I guess it was the last... <laughs> it's a great song. Why does it uh, the last, redone? The last... Uh, yeah, it was, it's, it, it was the last song they recorded for the album. So I guess they needed one more song. And they didn't have any demos that they liked. So they, And Paul Stanley came in one day, what, what about this one? Okay, let's do it. But uh, Paul Stanley gets his will through uh, too much at times, you know? It's like they don't dare to criticize him at times. And they should have had said to him, that's not a song for this album, let's do something else. But I guess no one dared to stand up to him, and they did it. And it doesn't fit the album at all. And yeah. it, it's and the last song they should have ended with a bang instead of this one. Just imagine if they would have any song from the Ace Frehley solo album, or the Alive Two album, maybe Rocket Ride or um, mm. American Man or yeah. something like that, would have been great. But this one is just a throwaway, one of the worst covers ever. It doesn't fit the album. I don't know what they were thinking. Eric Kramer should, should be ashamed that he couldn't stand up to Paul Stanley. Yeah, well, I, I agree with most of that. I mean, the, the Kiss are a, are a typical example of a band that should steer away from cover songs altogether. They're, they're a band that do, do not know how to do good covers. I mean, look at their track record, and they're just horrible. Any way you want it sucked. You know, kissing time was brutal. Yeah. There's one good. There's one good in '91. Okay, well, so you have one, but I mean, there. I, I never understood the mentality of a band like this, where they have so many songs out there that they could take, that were better songs overall that you could cover, but yet they always tend to go to songs that are just not good to begin with. I mean, I've seen bands now that do covers. And they, you know, bands are picking cool stuff. Like, you know, like they do a Maiden cover. They do an Alice Cooper cover now. Like, why couldn't they have done something, you know, along those lines back then? I mean, I'm not saying to do an Alice Cooper song, but I'm just saying like something that was a bit more familiar and something a little bit more cool. I mean, even if they did a Beatles song for Crying Out Loud, I bet you they could have did a any Beatles song they could have redid that would have went over a lot better than any of those covers they've done. And they love the Beatles, so they probably would have did a really good job with it. Why not do that? You know, they always pick these terrible songs. I don't get it. Should have done no. Helter Skelter in the early 80s. <laughs> there you go. 
it, the uh, the song does not fit on the album, in my opinion, yeah. as well. It just, you know, um, they had done a lot of they had done a few albums mm-hmm. at that point that really ended with a bang, like you guys were saying, huh? Um, making love, making love. Do you love me? Um, Black Diamond. Mm-hmm. Um, I rock and roll all night. They they really Strange ended. Ways. They had yeah. They had they had a uh, a history of of ending albums with. With a with an in-your-face statement, and it, you know, maybe to some people it kind of represents the beginning of of the end with them closing out the album with this, because shortly thereafter they did a live two with the four studio tracks, and then you know Kiss kind of changes a little bit with with Dynasty, and it was maybe the beginning of the end of the original period. Yeah, so, I agree. I agree a hundred percent because after the Alive Two tour, they started to really get off the rails. Uh, you know, you know what happened after the Alive Two tour? Phantom mm-hmm. of the Park. <laughs> One of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they tour. They, you guys mentioned that they were, they made the album. They recorded the album in May. Um, the album. Hits record shelves on June 30th, 1977, 40 years ago today. They start touring in Halifax, Canada to start the tour in on July 8th, 1977. And they do a run through Canada. They yeah. And they have a, a brief run through the States on the Love Gun Tour. Not a, not a really lengthy tour. Oh. The tour... Oh, no. The tour ends September 5th. They they weren't on the road yeah. very long at all. Yeah, but um, then the Alive 2 tour starts. Right, and then the Alive 2 tour kind of kicks up where it left off. It's, it's like kind the of same more, tour. Kind of morphs yeah. into the same, kind of morphs into the Alive 2 tour with the same set, with the same stage, with the same outfits. Sure. They just kind of took a break, released the Live 2, and then continue on in the mode that Kiss was in, of like of a constant touring, constant recording mode. Um, we have great, to address, address the tour somehow. Absolutely. I mean, there's some great, great footage of of the tour between between Houston '77, those shows, um, Largo, Maryland '77. Um, it's really Kiss at their. We we mentioned Kiss at their height, but it, it's really Kiss at their height rec- touring wise too. I mean, it's yeah, probably their biggest. One of their biggest stage shows. Everybody references the Live Two stage, um, which is the same stage as the Love Gun stage. It's, yeah, you know, it's it's and it's at the time, 40 years ago, it's mind blowing what they're doing. Yeah, you know, obviously, Ken, you didn't see them until '79, did you? You didn't see the Love Gun tour. Yeah, I didn't see them until '79. They did pass through uh, on the actually on the day Elvis died. They played at the That's Cal Palace in San Francisco. It's a great bootleg. Um, I was too early. Start just starting to get into them. I didn't know that they were coming through. I uh, wasn't watching close enough. I don't know if I would have made it to it. Um, but uh, yeah, that would have been one to have gone to as a first concert. You know, that would have been pretty awesome. But uh, so I had to wait a couple of years later and uh, saw them year. You know, Dynasty tour. Yeah, it was, it was a total success, you know, the Love Tour and the Live 2 Tour. Uh, uh, if you look in Kurt, how do you pronounce his Gooch. last name? Gooch. 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 Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
he mentions that they had an average attendance of well over 13,000 on the live two tour, and that has to be the greatest number in Kister, I guess. Uh, so people were coming out to see them at this time. And then we got the solo albums and Dynasty and they messed things up. They they had such a chance. But I guess they had been doing it for quite some time and it wasn't fresh. So maybe it would have happened even if they would have released a rock and roll over two or, or something. But things started to decline after the Love Gun Alive 2 tour, big time. Yeah. So they go out on tour. They, they really... Um really um, showcased this album quite a bit on tour um, yeah. with Love Gun being played, I Saw Your Love, Shock Me, Hooligan. 16, Hooligan. Um, they did, five songs are staples. They did play Got Love for Sale on the first few shows mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. The, of the tour and then it then it disappeared but it's too bad they didn't keep it on. Great. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a, it was a strong record, you know, I mean, and really, back back in the day, you know, it was really emphasis on pushing your latest product. I mean, nowadays, it's not so much a thing to do that. I mean, look at any of these, you know, classic bands that are out now, like an ACDC or any of the other bands. Whenever they make a new record, they play maybe two new songs off the record, and then the rest of it is all mm-hmm. off the old material. Back then, yeah. you know, you really wanted to push your latest album because... You know, especially that that's that's the thing too about the record. It, it did really well. I mean, overall, like it went it was number three in Canada, it was number two in Japan, it was number six in in uh, Daniel's country there. Yeah. It was number number eight in Switzerland. You know, number four in the U.S., thirteen in Australia, and eighteen in Germany. So I mean, it's not it was a top twenty record pretty much everywhere. So it did well. You know, so the tour would obviously do well. So you're gonna want to push. The songs off of it. I mean, if it's a good record and it sells well, then you should have no problem playing the material off of that record because it's selling, right? But it's kind of mind-boggling when you think about the tours they did. They they played Japan for the first time in '77 on the Lockdown tour, yeah. and there were great attendance, and they still they lost money on that that tour. I don't know how they did it. But if you well, you can, well, you can, I don't know. well, look at what they did. They 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 got first. They got a seven four seven plane. That, well, they didn't rent the whole yeah, thing, okay. but they they dragged out like fifty people from the press. They were with them stupid. That, that they had to put up in hotels and feed and everything else. So there go you know lots of money's going through there. And, and think about how much it must have cost to cart this gear across to Japan. It's not cheap, right? Yeah, but fortunately they learned and they yeah. went back. They went back to Japan at the end of the Live 2 tour, and mm-hmm. it was a complete success. But they only played, I think, in uh, Tokyo, four or five gigs, and it was a complete sellout. But they didn't travel around Japan as they did on the previous tour, mm-hmm. and it was a success. And after that, Peter Chris became a cokehead, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth of it. To be plain, yeah. I mean... That's the f- the final tour that he was great on, and that so- then something happens happened, and he never recovered, unfortunately. However, I do like the 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 final shows he did. Uh, you know that Julian attended them, kind of fun. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so if you if you want to know more about that tour, that's a that's a good book to get. Alan's magazine that he just put out that time there, the Kiss Kiss Takes Tokyo '77 yep. magazine. Mm-hmm. I that has all kinds of that all kinds of stuff on the tour, right? So if you want to know more about it, that's a good place to check out and start, right? What about Alan's book then? Have you read that one? Kissing yeah, I, I, yeah. I have the I have the other one. Yeah, I have that book as well. It's re- it's really good. I mean, Japan is always an interesting place to go to for any band. I mean, right. they have one of the most one of the most loyal audiences for for some acts. I mean, look at a band like, for example, like an artist like Ingve Malmsteen. He was a complete dead issue in the United States, but continued to make platinum Finish. albums. Yeah, but he continued to make platinum records in japan toured in japan he made so much money in japan that he pretty much almost at one point stayed in europe and toured japan exclusively because they were so loyal to him and the same thing with kiss i mean the problem with kiss they would have went back i'm sure several more times for tours but it's just because of the cost of getting them from america over to there you know it's a lot more than than an act from europe going over there right it's Mm. half the distance traveled right for sure. So, 40 years ago today, Love Gun comes out. Oh, um, can I hold you one second? Go ahead, there, Lonnie. Absolutely. I, while you're talking about that, that's what I want to bring up is there is, you know, conflicting uh, data and, and thoughts about when it, you know, Love Gun came out. Um, I still think it's the 30th. Uh, there's others saying that it came out like on this, you know, the 17th of june or earlier um but uh because it maybe appeared like in an ad but sometimes ads yeah can, can appear showed that today sometimes the ad, yeah ads can appear early or before an album really comes out or who knows um uh but i was basing my thoughts on it and first i saw the riaa award for plat going platinum was june 30th which is, mm-hmm. that's when it shipped. It shipped June 30th, and they gave him that award on June 30th. Um, the other thing is Billboard. I was looking at old issues uh, online of Billboard and Cashbox magazine, and it shows that it was like around July 9th issues um, that it showed, uh, particularly Cashbox said that uh, it was on the charts for one week it's been in one week as one week so one week from around july 9th you know whenever they published the magazine so it had to be june you know usually it's the week before that's a weekly magazine billboard is a weekly magazine and usually the following week you'd hit you'd get the actual uh album showing on what it appeared on the charts according to sales so that's when they appeared on those mag in those magazines so i and, i still and, think it's the june 30th but i you know hey yeah. i'm not saying it's for sure but i that's where i lean yeah and, and don't forget too i mean what how this came up i think is you're talking about that picture they showed from that ross radley book probably right where they showed that advertisement of the first uh, first actual ad for the album yeah. being sold sure and mm-hmm. but the thing is though you got to remember as well you know it's not like 
you know, these, these ads, you know, aren't accidentally run early, for example, or sometimes I know for a fact that record stores sometimes uh, put out product early. I know I picked up uh, a record that came out and it was supposed to come out the week, the week following week and they accidentally put it out a week. They would just put it out at the time. It wasn't as strict as it is today. Yeah. Yeah. So they'd get it and they, it'd come in, you know, come in UPS or whatever. And the record store would just put it out. They didn't have, or they the wouldn't guidelines. wait sometimes. They just, okay, well, forget of uh, waiting till the 30th. Let's just put it out. We we're have gonna it sell now. It, so we're going to make some yeah. money. You know? yeah. Why are we going to wait? So I think June 30th is still the actual official release date. Maybe maybe some people got it on, you know, before that. But I think June 30th is still, we can we can still say, is the official release date for, for Love Gun 40 years ago today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of, kind of mind-blowing. It's 40 years ago. Yeah. We can't hear you, Daniel. Daniel, you're muted. <laughs> Sorry about that. The years pass so fast, so that's always incredible. Thinking back, you think, well, I heard Asylum a couple of years ago. Oh, it was 30 years ago. Sorry. But uh, <laughs> the main thing about Love Gun, I think, is it's the pinnacle of Kiss, but it's also the downfall. You know, just when this... Love Gun Alive 2 tour ended. I guess Gene, I would guess it was him, who uh, convinced the others that Phantom of the Park was a great idea. And then you had Dynasty Unmasked the Elder, and they killed it. They killed the momentum they had. So this was the peak and the end. So it's uh, an important. Uh, uh, time in history for sure mm-hmm. absolutely um so for you listening what are your thoughts on the love gun album what are your thoughts on the songs the packaging the tour um let us know at kissfaq.com under the discussion board um give us some thoughts on youtube comments wherever you however you choose to listen to the show um, and for everyone listening, um, for those in the United States, have a safe and happy Fourth of July weekend. Canada Day. Uh, and what what is it in Canada this weekend? It's Canada Day in July first, hundred and fiftieth uh, yes, birthday Canada of Canada. Day. All right. Yeah. Oh, Canada. Is there a holiday in Sweden this weekend? Well, we had midsummer last week. You know, the sun never goes down this period, so it's kind of cool. So I can sit here all night long if I want. That's to. awesome. No werewolves. No. Yeah. No werewolves. No. <laughs> I'm almost human. Well, guys, thank you for for doing the show today, and thank you for everyone who listened. I hope that you weren't too disappointed that Julian wasn't on today, and I hope you you stuck with us to the end. Um, so, give us your thoughts on Love Gun. Leave us some feedback on the board. Leave us some feedback on YouTube. And we will see you next time. You stay classy, Kiss Army. Thank you for spending time listening to the Kiss FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the Kiss FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again. Thank you.